We are a group of friends bound by our appreciation for liberty and good podcasting. Free-minded thinkers from all walks of life, our values come together with one accord to discuss the common culture and news of the day, along with whatever random crap is going on in our lives. Welcome to the Union of the Unknowns. Okay, welcome everybody to another episode of Union of the Unknowns. Thank you all for joining us. And this evening, um, we have a very special guest with us who I will get to last, um, save the best for last. And in the meantime, I'm going to introduce the other unknowns. First of all, you have me, Ashley, think, change, repeat, super unknown. Um, We have the ATL connector, Jackie. What's up? We have Stella from Down Under. Hello there. We have Terry Canary, our favorite Spaniard. Even more unknown than Ashley. (laughs) We have Tunes. Hey, y'all. Free State, New Hampshire. 603 represent. (laughs) We have America's Sweetheart, Ism Cant. How's everyone doing tonight? And then for our special guest, we have Sal Mayweather. What's up, Sal? What's up, guys? How are you? Good. I'm honored to be on the show. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful that you were able to join us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, my God. Thank you for the invite. Okay. So I wanted to um, go ahead and kick it off and just see if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, the projects that you're working on currently, and, you know, of course, where people can find you. We'll have all of that stuff, but basically just kick us off a little bit of your, you know, your journey, how you got where you're at, all that stuff. Right, right. So, I mean, I've been around in the libertarian movement for a while. I guess I'm like one of the Ron Paul class of libertarians. And uh, I was like a minarchist, I was an LP kind of guy. And then I realized that that was a sort of a waste of time. And I was just sort of just like, you know, treading water. So that's when I sort of really uh, went full force into agorism. And it was the best decision I ever made, obviously. Um, You know, this is like back in like 2012. And everybody's getting like Bitcoin and 3D printers and stuff when it was just getting started. So uh yeah and then i started to develop a following online and i was like well i might as well use that platform to promote the version of anarchism that i subscribe to which is agorism and that's how south agorist was born and uh yeah it sort of just spread from there so i did want to say that sal was absolutely instrumental in my fully awakened like awakening really about just realizing what nonsense government was on every level, like the regulation, gun control, any of that stuff. So I had sort of had some questions in my mind. um, But then I talked to someone who would share the free state or um, the free thought project stuff. So I started following them. And then one day your page was suggested to me had no idea what agorism was or anything like that at all. And I started following you. And then after that and seeing your dank memes, then that was the game changer really for me, as far as what I, you know, where I stood on, on the government, I still had a lot more to learn at that point, but. 
Yeah, that's that's sort of the formula is that, you know, you draw the traffic in with the memes and then you trick people into learning about these like really important and like complex socio-political topics. And that's sort of it's been working so far. So definitely actually, are you actually can I can I butt in? I, I think yeah. for our legions of fans uh, who might not know, it might be useful if Sal would describe what his idea of agorism is and what an oh, agorist yes. is. Yeah, yeah, sure. So agorism is really sort of um, uh, a strategy to achieve a libertarian society. And rather than focusing on political means, we focus on entrepreneurship, specifically like gray and black market entrepreneurship outside the realm of the state. And uh, it's really just a, a strategy to achieve a, uh, anarch an anarchist society. A lot of, like a lot of people think like it's a sort of competitor to anarcho-capitalism or something like that, but it's really a strategy to achieve those ideas. Thank you. Yeah. I so would say- uh, we, um, Sorry, um, sorry, Tunes, I'll let you go first. No, no worries, no worries. I, I would say uh, it starts on the individual level and- uh, I've been known to say in the Discord, uh, I'm a huge proponent of backyard chickens for every uh, yes. every household in America. Backyard chickens, if you don't have them yet, get them. Hit me up. I'll send you some eggs. Uh, yeah. Chickens, chickens are one of the easiest things that you can uh, set up on very limited space. Uh, you know, it takes a weekend to, to build a coop. You can do it out of pallets, you know, throw some chicken wire together and it's a couple bucks a week if you can't get food scraps from down the street. Uh, everybody get backyard chickens. Well, one of the things everyone always says to me is like, how can I get involved in the gorism? Like, I don't want to get involved in this black market anarchism. Like, I'm going to go to jail. And I say, no, it's not, it's not like as, as, as it sounds, um, you know, we're not engaged in any, like, I mean, you can, you can go as, you can be as risky as you'd like, but, as you'd like, but the, the advice I give people is to just try to do three things, um, become your own bank, get a 3d printer and grow your own food. And if you could do those three things, you can, you, you can have a much more significant degree of freedom than the average citizen does today. And yeah, absolutely. Raising chickens is one of the best ways to do that. So does that mean we have to give up on, on kind of mainstream society and, and just form our own parallel structures and, and kind of drop out in many ways? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's an accurate way of putting it. Per Byland, who is a great agorist thinker, has has a paper that I actually included in, in the book Anti-Politics, where he talks about the two um, types of agorist strategies, uh, the horizontal strategy and the vertical strategy. And basically what he says is, um, you know, in the, the, the vertical strategy, you sort of drop out and you sort of fall out of these state structures and you create... Uh, local production facilities that bypass state regulation. So a, a chicken coop would be a great example of a local production facility that bypasses state regulation. Another would be like a 3D printer or a crypto miner or something along those lines, uh, an aquaponics rig, uh, really anything, anything like that. And then you combine that with the horizontal strategy, which is just peer-to-peer -peer trade, voluntary trade. And when you, it's sort of, when you combine those two strategies, it becomes very powerful. Um, and we see that with obviously like cryptocurrency exchanges and uh, 
you know, how free flowing 3D printed gun files are nowadays. And it's sort of, uh, it's very difficult for the state. Once that Pandora's box is opened, it's very difficult for them to stuff it back in. Yeah. Now, I, when, oh, go ahead, sorry. I was just gonna say a, a great example of that is just all the gun buyback programs where people are 3D printing up, you know, these, these plastic parts and making thousands selling them back to the state. I just that's that's right. Yeah. Easy. That was excellent. I just saw some guy just made like $21,000. And people will like email me and they're like, Sal, when's the next sale? When's the next sale? And, I'm, and I say to them, well, instead of, you know, sign up for the newsletter, but instead of worrying about when the next sale is going to be, look up when your next gun buyback is. You buy a two or $300 printer and you can make thousands of dollars that weekend. So it, it, it really does pay for itself. And you can help drain money from the enemy. And you can help secure this, you know, gun rights. It's a win-win-win. And obviously, you keep the money in the Agoras community the whole time while you do it. We're facilitating an exchange with cryptocurrency. It's really a beautiful thing if you think about it. If someone wanted to learn some more information and how to really kind of start with that, because it does kind of seem overwhelming a little bit, like where do you... Where should they start with your book, Anti-Politics? Like, does your book go through that or so what do you suggest? With, so, so 3D Printer Go Burr is just one, um, it's one of my businesses that's sort of uh, one of my worst inclined businesses. If you want to learn more about 3D printing, I did an episode a while back, it has to be two or three years ago now, with uh, Ivan the Troll and 3D Printer Go Burr, or, or I'm sorry, uh, Control Pew who are like two of the major 3D printed gun designers. You can find that episode. It's an episode of my podcast called The Agora. The name of the episode is So You Got a 3D Printer. And we sort of walk everybody through uh, the whole beginning steps. Again, that was like two or three years ago, but it's it basically everything kind of still holds up. So it still all holds true, more or less. Interesting. Awesome. So, um, so uh, what, what do you see happening if, if the state tries to do its, you know, this CBDC stuff and, and tries to, you know, really clamp down? And people are talking about the state trying to get rid of people's chickens by putting all these crazy regulations in. Um, so do you still see a way out if they, if they really try and clamp down? Well, you know, it's interesting with the CBDCs because... Um, you know, right now, the way I look at it is, is the, the central bank has sort of printed themselves into this trap. And it's just basic Austrian business cycle theory. If they stop printing money, you're going to get a recession. It's a painful but necessary period where all of that malinvestment be, gets liquidated. Or they can, like a junkie, uh, you know, take another shot in the arm and they can keep printing money. Um the trouble is when they print that money, they can't, they can't have us stick it underneath the mattress. They don't want you to go out and to save it or to buy gold or silver or to buy guns or something like that. They want you to go out and consume. They want you to go to the bar and they want you to go to Target and go to the big retail stores and, and stuff like that. And that's how you sort of keep this service sector economy alive without any production. So what the CBDCs are going to do is they're just going to sort of target uh, where you where you can and can't spend that money. So in other words, you'll get a little notification on your phone. You've got 2,000 uh, Federal Reserve notes, but you can only spend them in certain places. You can't spend them everywhere. And that's how they're going to sort of target stimulus. And that, of course, will be like the, 
you know, uh, the opening of Pandora's box. Slowly but surely, it'll be like they're going to track your transactions. They want to know what you're buying. There will be a social credit score just like they have in China. It's all a matter of time. And um, no, I don't think it's hopeless. I think that actually, I, th I think we're winning. I know it sounds crazy, but I think that as uh, they sort of get more and more desperate and they sort of are grasping, sort of at straws, grasping at straws. And that's why you get things like, you know, crazy laws, you know, ridiculous laws and things like CBDCs and uh, all this inflation. It's just because they're trying to maintain legitimacy. They're trying to maintain power and, and it's slipping through their fingertips. And, mm -hmm. you know, everybody thinks that the government is this immovable object that, that can't ever be defeated or changed or anything like that. But the U.S. government is only, you know, a couple hundred years old. It's not... It's, it's, it's not this, um, it's like a fixture on the wall, right? It's not something that you can't, that can't ever be removed or changed. And I think people are wrong in, in thinking and viewing it that way. I would say the U.S. government in this iteration is only since Lincoln, 150 years old. And then the U.S. Yeah. global empire is, is less than that. Um, but I definitely agree that we are going to win. Uh, there's, there's no, I mean, it's going to be pain in the, in the real short term, but we are going to win. Yeah, for sure. And actually, I make that same point. Um, what you said about Lincoln, I make that point in my in my book um, that's coming out, The American Experiment, which is essentially the idea of the book is that like, you know, we, we've had this America is an experiment in limited governments. And the argument in the book that I make is that that experiment failed uh, on, on, I think it was July 4th, 1863, at the Battle of Vicksburg where Lincoln and Grant learned how, uh, how effective making war on civilians can actually be, right? That's when the war changed. Up until that moment, it really looked like the American people were still gonna, they were gonna defeat the government. It really looked like the people were gonna win. And then uh, they literally resorted to terrorist tactics and the, the war changed. And you're right. Ever since then, it's been a completely different relationship between the citizen and the state. And it's, it's really been all downhill from there, frankly. It, it feels like that they're sending their best efforts at us, which is like Joe Biden and Anthony Fauci. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think they're going to say Anthony Weiner. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's, 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 he's their previous best, I suppose. Yeah, but, right. Um, it's th these people just aren't super impressive to me. And I think COVID really helped wake a lot of people up to whether it's just seeing what their kids are actually being taught in school to how far their mm -hmm. government's going to go to lock them down and not let them have a life without their permission. And, so, and that's, that's the thing. It's like, are they going to go out and they're going to still vote for these people after they have shut their businesses down they have kept them away from their dying relatives are they still going to go out and pull the lever in november and i think that there's going to be a surprisingly it's going to be a frightening amount of people who who will do that it's, it's i can't believe that anyone is still in california or new york after what happened i just say this as far as i can tell that's how that's exactly why i got out i was in um it was in new york and i remember uh getting off the train at penn station and there was guys in camouflage with rifles and I'm in, and I'm not allowed to have one. And I'm thinking, and I walk outside and there's tanks on the street and I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's probably time to start looking for another place. 
I mean, that's that's literally like that's dystopian movie level. Like, oh, this is America, land of the free. This that like, never there. And it's like up there, you're paying so much money for the cost of living, and it's like once they shut down the bars and the clubs, and and you know you can't do anything. All of a sudden, it's like, what am I paying all that money for? To you yeah. know, for the to live with roaches, you know? Yeah. At that point, you're just locked so, in a small box. Right. So they literally had like during COVID or whatever, they had tanks on the streets. Oh, this was this was like the beginning of COVID. First of all, there's like wow. there's military on the streets of New York City every day. Like when you get out of, when you go into Penn Station, there's there's guys with camo and rifles because yeah. they're waiting for like a mass shooter. Whereas here now in Florida, they don't have to do that because everybody has a gun. So there's no there's no military because every single person has a gun on them. But up there, it's yeah. like, yeah, you, you have one or two guys in camo who sit at, at stations, you know, at, at certain, you know, predetermined locations. And they are just sort of waiting for something to, to happen. And uh, yeah, and when COVID happened, it was really ugly. There was like tanks and there was like bear cats riding around. And I'm talking the streets were empty because, you know, they, they shut down your your businesses all the bars were shut down. The restaurants were shut down. So the only people, it looked like a ghost town. I mean, it was like something out of the movies that people, I don't know. It's New York City. They really, uh, they really did a number on that place. They really ruined it. I mean, it they sounds like a literal Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, mean, a lot of the shops and restaurants shut down for good, pretty much, from what I hear. Oh, absolutely. Some of the best, and, and you know what it is? It's like some of the best bars. I mean, bars that have been open for literally 90 years, almost 100 yeah. years, they had to shut down because they were forced to pay astronomical rents, by the way, which is, of course is a product of the city's, you know, uh, wonderful, you know, zoning laws and, and housing regulations and stuff like that. So they're already paying these astronomical bills. And then you tell them that they can't actually do business for a year and they still have to pay those bills. It's absurd. And then, you know, they asked Cuomo about it when he was um, still around. And he said, oh, well, you know, just, you know, don't pay your bills and the Federal Reserve will just have to cover it. So in other words, in other words, the people in Florida who never did shut down are going to have to pay for the people who did shut down in, in New York, New Jersey, California, and so on. That's right. And we'll yeah, print our way out. All these crazy places. So we'll sad. print our way out. And that's why you have... Ten dollar dozen eggs, and yeah, yeah, that's why we're at where we're at. Yeah, that's why you have free eggs. Yes, yeah. they're um, not free. We we put a little effort into it. We put a you little. You know labor. what I mean. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, Sal, from this perspective of what you've seen happening in New York with um just what everything that's happening now from the globalist perspective. So this was bit, this has been a huge shift in my thinking of thinking like, oh, it's the United States government. It's the United States government, fuck them. Until finally realizing, I mean, still fuck them, but finally realizing, or at least feeling like these, this is globalist. Like this is the global order that is rolling out as we speak. Like they're cranking it up to 10. That's kind of what I was thinking. Um, I want to get your take on that angle of it. And then the other thing was um, I wanted to throw out there that, so it was listening to um, the Propaganda Report podcast, which is how we were in Discord together and how this podcast came together. Um, but the one of the the people on that podcast monica perez said that she thought they were trying like intentionally 
third worlding places like New York City, like, you know, San Francisco, LA, the big cities first, right? Chicago. It, so to make it unlivable, basically for most people, clear them out, then you can start building smart city, track and trace, you know, like the 5G, the internet of thing cities. Yeah. So I guess it's so like the first part of your question. It's funny that you say that because it's funny that you bring it up because this was a main topic um, in my book that I, that I'm just about to come out, the American experiments and the idea, honestly, I didn't even mean for it to be like this, Ashley. It was really, I, I just wanted to follow the research where it led me. And what I realized was that it was sort of unavoidable to discuss this sort of cabal of elite financial interests who are sort of act like puppet masters behind the scenes. And, um, you know, you, everyone, everyone knows, everyone understands that, you know, money influences the decisions of elected officials. But once you begin to name names, and once you start to name institutions, you're a conspiracy theorist. Then you have your tinfoil hat on and, and that, that's how they smear you. That's how they, they sort of dismiss that conversation that way. And um, there, from what I can tell is there has been an elite financial interest in control of America's affairs at every flex point in American history. So in the colonial era, we had Robert Morris influencing the decisions of Alexander Hamilton. He was the richest man in America at the time. A lot of um, court historians refer to him. They, they say that he is the financier of the revolution, but Murray Rothbard said that uh, it was, it's more accurate to say that the revolution financed Morris. And that is a pattern that plays out throughout American history up until today, up until right now. So in the Civil War, you had John Jay, um, I'm sorry, not John Jay, uh, Jay Cook, who was, uh, he had a monopoly on the issuance of bonds that they were using to pay for the war. And again, it, I go through all of that in the book, but um, what happened is towards the uh, end of the 19th century, this is going to sound crazy, but this is all true. And I, I realized a lot of this while in the course of research for this book, um, Cecil Rhodes was, yes. uh, yeah, he is really where it started. And this was yep. a man, it, this sounds batshit crazy. Can I curse? Can I say it? This is going to sound yeah. crazy. He actually wanted to bring the United States back into the fold of Great Britain. Right. And he, he wanted he to had... make... Go so ahead, you sorry. know this. You know this then. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had heard a bit about yeah. um, from Richard Grove was talking about this. And actually that there's documents tying even Cecil B. Rhodes with, um, I think it's, is it the Rockefellers or? Yeah, yeah, and, and the Rothschilds. So like I went, there was this huge rabbit hole that really delayed yep. the writing of this book because I just got lost in this whole power elite analysis. Um, and so Cecil Rhodes had this secret society that he created for the purposes of bringing the US back into the fold of the UK. And there was two... Um, sort of houses to this operation two two sort of jurisdictions in the in in europe there was the rothschilds and in america there was the morgan rockefeller branch and each of these sort of branches um would act behind the scenes to sort of bring about this sort of anglo-american alliance and uh it was wildly successful mm. wildly successful because in world war one yes um England sort of uh, 
they sort of took advantage of the situation. They were like, oh, you know, look, if we come out on top of this, we can sort of redraw that map in our favor. And when they did get involved and they were like, oh, it's kind of, this is a little bit more of a fight than we thought. Hey, America, if you guys get involved, we can really tip the scales in our favor. And they did. And when we had this Anglo-American alliance, the whole weight of it fall down on the triple axis, they were able to write this very lopsided treaty, the Treaty of Versailles, and they were mm -hmm. able to dictate terms to Germany that created a very, um, very, very uh, uh, unfavorable conditions for, for the Germans, which led to, uh, you know, that, this is, an, of, co of course, a, a, a book in and of itself, the reaction to, to Versailles that created Marxism in Germany, which led to a nationalist reaction and that's how we got Hitler. And um, again, that's a whole nother story. A lot of the things Hitler was um, doing in World War II, initially, at least, he started by saying, oh, well, you know, we're going to take back all that land that was taken from us. We're going to get it back. And I'm the guy who's going to make it, you know, respectable to be German again. And uh, that is sort of, you know, that's sort of the story of World War II. And then... Um, by the way, you can cut me off whenever you want. Um, I'm just well, sort of I, rambling here. Um, I love that. I just did have a couple of questions. So first yeah. of all, it, considering the environment that was set up in in Germany for the rise of really this, like, I guess you could say the right wing backlash, A, do you feel that that is coming here? Um, I I was introduced to Cyprian or Vin Armani on your, I heard it on your podcast um, years yeah. ago. And so I have followed him. And that is one of the things that he has been talking about is sort of the rise of what well, he calls it the sons of Peterson, because he feels not to speak for him. It seems like he feels like this, this reaction is coming because of the nonsense that has been crammed down our throats for, you know, however long. Right, now. Right. And then the other thing um, that I wanted to ask, and I know, sorry, this is a lot, but I just have so many thoughts. Um, do you feel that there is like a Knights Templar or a very, like that this, the banking cabal goes back even further? So, um, so like just in terms of like, um, I'm sorry, I'm just making sure I don't lose train of thought. So like w in terms of like globalization and nationalism, I think what's going on and like, I, I, my initial degree is like in political science. That's sort of how I kind of, kind of got involved in all this. So like all of my answers are going to reflect that. Um, but the way I see all this happening is that the internet and technology has made us so interconnected. It's created a sort of um, global civilization almost like we see like regional accents are dying out slowly, but surely because people have sort of like, you can, wake up and you can talk to somebody in Nepal before you talk to somebody on the other side of your house now. And that sort of has created this like global community. And as a response to that, people are trying to hold on to some sense of identity. They're trying to, uh, you know, um, whether that like comes out in terms of like their national identity or their religious identity or something, but that's how you get guys like Trump or people like Marine Le Pen or someone like that or, um, you know, Nigel Farage or something like that, you get these like sort of backlashes to globalization. You get the, the people are saying, um, 
like, no, 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 I do have an identity. Here's what it is. So I think that's what's going on there. And I think that's going to keep happening. Um, and I, you know, who knows where that's going to take us if, if hopefully that doesn't turn into a hot war. But considering the people in charge nowadays, nothing would surprise me. Um, this this terms- seems to feel like uh, the, the logical pendulum swinging back the other way. Um, since World War II, it's, it's essentially been illegal to, to be German, right? I mean, in Germany, you yeah. cannot have German pride. You know, it's, it's more or less illegal, you know? Uh, well, you, know, you still America, can't have Southern pride. And it's 150 you cannot, years later. Exactly, exactly. A great point. Isn't mm-hmm. this the, the logical pendulum swinging the other way? I mean, you know, a lot of people, Sam Konkin, you see this flag here? This is the Culpeper Minuteman flag. Sam Konkin had the rebel flag. Robert E. Lee's battle flag hanging over his couch. If I did that today, people would be like, they would go nuts. They would treat me like I was like, you know, I had like, you know, AIDS or something like that. But, um, you know, it, it, the bottom line is uh, anybody who sort of takes on the feds or opposes them, even ideologically, you are enemy, you're enemy number one and you are, you know, a conspiracy theorist, you are, you know, the worst of the worst, and they will do anything possible to paint you in that light. Um, but just going back to what Ashley said about the cabal and like how far back it goes, honestly, you know, I, I would imagine that there is at some point, there's always uh, like a, a, an elite financial interest behind every war, although I don't know. My research, honestly, I've only researched it as far back as Cecil Rhodes. But um, it would not surprise me in the least bit to find out if, you know, you, you know, had some war, you know, actually, you know, I, I shouldn't even say it because in the book, I do, I do go into like Greek and Roman history. And uh, in the Greek times, I know that there was, in fact, was the whole push for, for democracy in, in Athens was brought about by the elites, right? They were sort of losing power and they thought to themselves, as dictators still do today, Hey, look, if everybody votes for me, then my, you know, my power is more legitimate. And that's how we got sort of this direct democracy in Greece. And that's, you know, what's still going on today. People sort of make the false somebody, choice. Sorry, they, Terry. Uh, sorry, Stelz. I was just going to say, people make, make the false choice between nationalism and globalism. So, you know, so the reaction against globalism is nationalism rather than, like you were talking about, looking for local solutions where you just sort of basically disconnect from from the nation and and the globalists exactly sorry stales i just wanted to say a couple of things here um uh, firstly uh sal you may be interested if you don't already know about it um i'm from australia and uh looking into the eureka stockade have you heard of that no that might interest you just as a topic to read about was basically Australia's rebellion during the gold mining, the gold rush. Uh, so basically when there's protests and things going on here, a lot of who are aware of what's going on will often bring the Eureka Stockade flag out. Um, oh, so yeah, okay. just, just a topic for, that you might be interested to look at. Well, uh, the I other should, thing that I wanted to... Hmm, sorry. I should tell you, I'm a, I'm a, a big fan of Kerry Packer. I'm a, I'm a Kerry Packer libertarian. Kerry <laughs> Okay. Uh, you, you should, <laughs> okay. I'm surprised you don't know that name. 
I know Kerry Packer. I'm a cricket fan. Oh, so I, I know Kerry. Okay. Packer. I know okay. Kerry Packer. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And his son James Packer. His son James Packer, who was actually married to that was the singing chick um, with a really high voice. You Mary, know, not Marianne. All I saw was him like take the parliament to t to town, and I thought that was pretty cool. I don't know. You know more about him than I do. Yeah. Okay. Well, his son Packer is very big in the casino industry. I think his father would be quite ashamed. But anyway, uh, somebody else who doesn't get much is Andrew Carnegie. At the beginning yes. of uh, like in the 1900s, whatever he he actually he's forged the past John D. Rockefeller uh, when he he was very wrapped up in the steel industry, which was very very key to the of the elite. Um, but his name doesn't come up quite. Charles, but uh, Carnegie was very very key. Well, you know what's funny is, sorry, I just watched a video yesterday about how uh, Carnegie was such a great philanthropist, and he gave away you know close to a billion dollars it was a yeah. youtube video it was a normie video all those yeah, foundations no. are extremely dodgy aren't they carnegie yeah. foundation rockefeller foundation gates well, yeah and they 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 call their they call their foundations things like you know the well here yeah the foundation for, for international stuff. peace yeah, yeah, yeah right, peace right. palace yeah right. uh, you know freedom this and freedom that it's always it rings alarm bells for me well, um, you're, you're absolutely right. One of the things that's interesting is that um, after the, the second generation of, of Kabbalists had, had died out in America, after, um, and some of these people lived a very long time, like uh, once, once yeah. uh, J.P. Morgan's son died, and once, once John D. Rockefeller's son was sort of old, too old to be, like, be any of any use, they shifted their influence. No longer was their influence on individuals, but they actually created these uh, international institutions to exercise influence, like the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, yes. even yep. things like as benign sounding as the Chamber of Commerce and 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 stuff like that. Um, and it's so they've become sort of uh, uh, think tanks almost. Uh, mm. Or like I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is. Like, well, well, they like kind of they kind of a yeah they kind of a front. It kind of takes the heat off an individual, as you said, and more exactly. into an institution. So it takes the faces, it takes the people and the faces out, and just makes right. it a, a corporate body. But but it's still Rockefeller money. It's still yes. uh, it's still run by the same people. It's still Morgan money. And um, when you look at the people who are making who are influencing the decisions that elected officials make today all roads lead to rome right they all it all goes back to right. the trilateral commission the council on foreign relations yeah. the rockefeller foundation or or one of their yes. some somebody who has some connection to them in some way or another right yeah it's a sort Absolutely. of finishing school for a lot of politicians as well isn't it you know that they, they put them in into key places and oh yeah murray rothbard called it um a permanent government and yeah. uh you know it's 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 honestly sick it's actually sick when you actually figure out how these people have you know what they did in world war one and then again in world war two and in the cold war and then in, in middle eastern wars it's just it makes you sick um Every you know, world. And, yeah yeah for sure that's why i mean like i wouldn't be surprised to find out if there was some sort of elite 
behind every war, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and now and now they're just masquerading as the World Economic Forum. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. 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 The business of international. Example. Yeah. Do you have yeah. any ideas who might have sabotaged the uh, Nordstroms? Speaking, of, you know, while we're on war, it seems like we're starting to get real close to World War Three. And and it's 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 crazy because the pattern that we're falling into very closely resembles the pattern in 1917, right? Where you have a, a sort of Eastern European regional skirmish or, or an Eastern European border dispute that Western Europe is trying to turn into a continental war and that America is trying to turn into a world war, all for yeah. the benefit of elite financial interests. Um, it's like, we're, they're literally risking like the end of the world, the end of humanity, which- I think, well, see, that's the thing. They're, you they're risking realize. our lives, not risking their lives. Right. They oh yeah, they have their they have their bunkers and their their right. supplies and their water. Maybe they just maybe they they figured out that their you know depopulation nonsense isn't gonna work out. So they got that reset button just standing by to, you know, I my my suspicion is that um I, I really think this is all about the Federal Reserve, and I think that they have to sort of drum up ways to keep up demand for all the dollars that they've printed in order to, yes. avoid, uh, to avoid hyperinflation. They have to sort of keep that velocity of money moving, and if it becomes stagnant or if it sits too long, then you're going to get that sort of hyperinflationary disaster that they, that they don't want. Yeah, this is just my gut. Really, I think they want oh, the economic yeah. reset, and I think they're doing everything to achieve that. I think COVID was, was all about that. I think the Ukraine yeah, situation I agree. was all about that. And I was going to say, I just read a tweet. Um, it might have been yesterday, last night, uh, from Kim.com. And that's what he said. He's like, look, this is, they are desperate. America is desperate to have World War Three right now because they have, as yeah. you were saying earlier, Sal, they have painted themselves into the position right now that, you know, the America is on the brink of financial collapse. However, that I, I agree with that, but I also, I wonder how it all really fits together, right? Because we know that one of the goals of the Great Reset, the World Economic Forum crowd, is to take America from the world's um, dominant superpower or whatever to now it's no longer that way. It's a group of nation states, including China, including Russia. So that's something that I've really been trying to figure out is where does this all play in? You know, we see the rise of BRICS, which, which tracks with what that stated goal is. Um, and it also tracks in order to try to, you know, for them to, to basically launder money the way they, well, see, like the way I see it is the, the political aspect of this is sort of subservient to the financial aspect of it. The, mm -hmm. the politicians are sort of, um, they're, they're just working for, for the, the elites at this point. And mm -hmm. it's not to save their hide. It's to save the bankers, mm -hmm. right? It really is, it really is sick because all of these wars are, it sounds cliche, but they really are banker wars, all of them. Um, going back yes. to World War One uh, and World War Two, they're all banker wars, and this one is no different. It's no different, just because yes, it's, I it's, I we're, would, we're in modern go, times. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry, I'm so sorry. I would even go further to say that they're 
you said that the politicians are working for the, the elite. I would take it a step further and say that they have been bred and placed by the elite. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I agree with you. Um, you know, in, in World War One, uh, there was this sort of, um, the Morgans had lent money to France and England, and they sort of had an interest to see uh, a, a decisive victory for, for, the, for the allies. And that's sort of how we sort of got pushed into it. In World War II, um, again, the Morgans had made those loans out to Western Europe, but this time also, the Rockefellers were concerned about Japanese expanding into the oil-rich territories and, and encroaching on their business in Southeast Asia. And sure as shit, sure as shit, as soon as World War II ended, who got monopoly uh, oil concessions in uh, South Asia? The Rockefellers. And um, yeah. Uh, that lasted sort of slowly over time. The Saudis kind of eased them away, but they still to this day have a very close working relationship. And in, in the early 90s, uh, it, was even much, it was much more so the case. And uh, Kuwait's ruling family, the Sabah family, uh, had a major deposits at, at Morgan uh, and Rockefeller-oriented banks. So that's how we sort of wound up in the first Gulf War. And that sort of, then Bin Laden didn't want us there. And we sort of never went home after that. And that sort of led to 9-11. And that led to Iraq and Afghanistan and all the bullshit we have today. And it sort of just parlays one into another, into another, into another. But um, one of the things that, that Bob Higgs, I don't know if you guys know who Bob Higgs is, wonderful economist, historian. But he says, look, they make these wars, whether they're manufactured or they're naturally occurring, we have these wars and the governments take advantage of them. And they, you know, the government, the, the, the state expands dramatically during a time of war. Um, but in order to pay for that expansion, the elites, the cabalists are called upon to expand the money supply. And as a result of that expansion, uh, we have a, an ensuing recession a drawback, a, a sort of financial crisis that follows not too long after. Sound familiar, right? If you're not, if you're 30 years old today, yeah. at least 30 years old or older, you that know what I'm talking not. about. So you, um, that's another excuse used for further expansion of the state. And yeah. it's just sort of snowballs one into another. Yeah. And sorry, you can't imagine that the people running the Federal Reserve and, you know, the people running the people running the Federal, like they know there's no way they can't know about the boom bust cycle and what, what they're doing. There's, I can't imagine there's any way that they're that stupid. So everybody you, says they're that stupid and it drives me nuts. They're not that stupid. They're not that they're stupid. Not. Right. So you know that they have a contingency plan for when shit initially, I mean, it's inevitably going to hit the fan one of these days. So you know that they've thought of a million different ways that they can take care of whatever they need to. Well, Alan was Greenspan was a Randian. He was a disciple of Ayn Rand. He wrote his college thesis about like the gold standard and he was friends yeah. with Walter Block. I mean, it's crazy how, and then of course, and then he, gets he, gets... A, he gets into a position of power and guess what? All of, a, all of a sudden he starts making decisions that diametrically oppose every belief he's ever expounded in his entire life. He knows <laughs> the rules of the game. He wins the exactly. game. Exactly. 
do you think they gave him the JFK treatment when he got the job? They showed him the like, okay, this is, this is how we That's do my correct. suspicion. That's my suspicion, honestly. And, and then, what hasn't he come out like pro gold and everything else since after he was in the Fed? Or my I remember I remember Ron Paul asked him, Ron Paul held up his college thesis one time and was like, You said right here. And like he just sort of stumbled over his words and he didn't really know what to say because he's he was caught. He's got caught red handed. Yeah, say God bless Ron Paul. I got him as my background. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, the other the other thing that I have been wondering about is okay, so I think that what they're doing with the um, the inflation and basically what they have been doing this entire time, however far it goes back, is essentially stealing the wealth from the back of the working man. So. At, at a point, don't they own enough? Like, when is that that mm. precipice, if that they, makes sense? Like, when have they bled us dry? And then, like, when is that point reached? And then, and okay, I'm sorry. It's hard to articulate. They don't care. They don't care about you or me or anyone else. You know what they care about? They care about power and holding on to it. That's it. Yes. Right. They, they will sacrifice children around. They have. They've done it before. Uh, right. They've been at, doing look, it. Look at the yeah. Look at the wars, the battles fought in the Pacific during World War II. They mm -hmm. were some of those bloody, vicious hand-to-hand -hand combat. And do you think that they they didn't lose sleep over this? They could care less. Right. There's there's sound. They are true the psychopaths. Yeah, yeah. really. They yeah. are one hundred percent actual <laughs> psychopaths. No, it is about, about the money. This is not about money. I mean, they, they business is oh, okay. Because that was that, business. That's if what I. The, if you can print as much money as you want, it's definitely not about the money. It's yes, more about control. Yeah, they, like, they, right. they just want to control the they world, and they want to control all of us because okay. they don't think yep. much of us. Like Sal they've got saying. private planes and mansions. They've got private islands that you know, Epstein Island and shit like that that we don't know about. Mm -hmm. You know, God only knows what they have. You know. That, that, that we'll never even learn about. Um, right. So again, it, it's about holding on to power, not letting it go, and, and to sort of preserving it for the next generation of elites. Okay. Let's look yeah. at Nancy Pelosi. She's 80 years old and worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And like, how, how do people, like supposedly good Democrats, they just show up and vote for her? Like, this is literally the exact part. Like, they love her. Opposed, like... This is what you're against. But okay, I guess no, it's 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 not even the Pelosi stuff I get because she's she, you know, she's in a safe district. She's been there forever. People in San Francisco are wacky and stuff like that. It's the it's the the like did you guys see that video of AOC being confronted at that town hall? Yes, that sir. Was good. So that's good, that's what perplexes me. It's like you have these people who have run as radicals and then they've sort of um, stabbed their constituency in the back. Like Ron Paul would never. Could you imagine Ron Paul voting for gun control or something like that? He would never do something like that. So it's like, how did the the radicals? Um, how well, did they sort of maintain that fiction? Let me ask. I, I find you. that very puzzling. How all these so-called lefties are so pro-war now? Do I you know. Think, I, do you think that voting is real? I don't want to get you into trouble. But I mean, it'd be real easy to keep all these lunatics in power when, you know, they just make that goes back to what Stella was saying. They want. 
are they bred for it and do they count i mean if they're bred for it and they don't count the votes you're in right Right. And exactly. And, you know, that's, it's like, I want to, I start off my, the book, the American experiment by saying and exactly what we were talking about earlier with Greece. And it's like these Greek aristocrats figured out what Hitler, Stalin, Mao, um, and U S presidents and golly knows who else has all, they've also figured out the best way to legitimize your rule is by having ballots cast in its favor. And <laughs> they, 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 you know, whether or not those ballots are, are real or false. I mean, come on. Who really thinks that, um, what was that election they just had in Ukraine or something like that, where they all voted for Russia? Oh, the it's annex. Like, right, right. And it, or, or it's like, um, what's the other one, too? Uh, I don't know. Every I now know. and then you see these, like, <laughs> yeah, right, 80 million votes or something like that. I don't know. It's, you know, it, at the end of the day, democracy, the problem is not that the, 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 the votes are rigged. It's that the, the system of voting itself is inherently flawed. No one has the right to vote on another man's paycheck. You know, my, my rights are not up for, for discussion. They're not for a yeah. vote. You know what I mean? So the whole system yep. is inherently flawed from the start. Can I say something about that? Um, in, in Australia, voting is compulsory. If we don't Sick. vote, we are fined. We are fined. And it's, it's a hefty fine. Um, but I, I just want to uh, quote Mark Twain here. With, um, if voting made a difference, they wouldn't let us do it. I think right. it's a huge illusion. It's just purely when they're playing the game and making us think we have some sort of input and then they're doing whatever their plans were originally. It's simple oh, absolutely. as that. Absolutely. And it's sort of a way to sort of placate the citizens to sort of, yes, yes, yes. Look, well, first of all, it's a way to placate the citizens and to say, look, um, you know, you guys have voted for this and stuff like that, but it's also legitimizes mm-hmm. the, the system. It legitimizes their rule. Yes, hey, look, yes. you, you took part in this, right? You you wanted this. You voted for this. Yeah. 80, 80 million votes this guy got, right? Come on. Government by the people. Yeah, how right. Often, how often have you heard, well, if you didn't vote, you can't complain. Right. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and and which I like with George Carlin's take, which is like, no, no, no. It's the exact opposite. You know, I didn't vote, so you can't blame me for fucking things up. Right. I don't no. consent to any of this shit. Right. <laughs> and you know, I mean, I was I was a child when I when I realized we only have to take their word for the amount of votes that were supposedly cast. How do we know that's what was cast? We just have yeah, to believe right. them. Prove it. Prove it. Yeah. They can't. We can and, never and, it can never be proven. And, and it's like honestly, even if you did prove it. it. Oh, go ahead, Sal. Sorry. I was just saying, even if they did prove it, I don't, you know, if, if the whole world votes yeah. that I have to do something, that's still not legitimate. You know 100%. what I mean? Yeah, true. Good point. Well, it's basically the Lysander Spooner take of, you right. know, uh, the social contract. I didn't sign up for anything. Mm. Yeah, right. Exactly. Oh, man, we need more Lysander Spooners in 2022. <laughs> that's why uh, we, need, we need millions of Lysander Spooners at this point. <laughs> We got seven on the on the Zoom call at least. <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah. That's why the, uh, the you know the elites and the politicians are not so keen on talking about rights now. You know, fundamental rights because, as you say, you you shouldn't really have the right to to vote down someone else's fundamental rights to liberty or you know property or whatever. So, right, um, but they don't care about that. They you know they they're debating your rights every day. And, and yeah. you know how much they're you de- should have and shouldn't have, and what you can say now and what you can't say. 
They're well, debating on whether or not your son should have a penis. Yeah, That's what they're debating. I mean, it's it's important insane. stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's insane. Um, I yeah. did. Speaking of what you can say, and obviously we know that censorship has been. I mean, it's at a fever pitch at this point. So, how does that affect your decision making for what? Because you post, you know, spicy stuff. So how, how have you been feeling about that? Or like, how does that sort of affect? Because on, on one hand, you do want to be like, fuck you. You're not going to tell me what I can say. But on the other hand, you don't, you worked hard for that account. Like you've been grinding for, to have a hundred some thousand followers. That's, you know, for a Liberty account to have that many followers is huge. So, um, you know, on the one hand, on the one hand, it's like, I don't, I honestly don't give a shit in, in, in some sense. Like I, in, in one sense, it's like really like I, it's a fucking Twitter account. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like who gives a shit? Uh, I'm going to keep posting memes, whether if I have one follower or 1 million followers, it doesn't really make a difference to me. However, from a business perspective and a marketing perspective, yeah, like that would be huge. If I lost my account on Twitter, I would probably have to go out and get a job again and stuff like that. But, um, I have like a, a Facebook page with like 20, some 20 or 30,000 followers. I'm, I'm growing my other accounts mm-hmm. or almost as like a sort of insurance policy, but um, I don't censor myself. I really don't. And I get suspended for the dumbest shit, Ashley. <laughs> I mean, like the dumbest shit, like when the, when the Tampa Bay Bucks won the Super Bowl two years ago, I posted a video. This is like, mid COVID hysteria, I posted a video on Main Street. Everybody's dancing, they're on top of cars, there's they're throwing beer cans and everybody's partying. Nobody's wearing a mask right here in Florida, of course. And I posted a video of this and I got suspended for vi- for promoting violence because nobody had a mask on. <laughs> I'm not even making that up. All, all I did was post a video of like the Super Bowl celebration. Unfortunately, I believe you. Like you could have I mean, made that up and I'd still believe you. <laughs> dude, all kinds of crazy shit. I just got, there was just something else that I just got, I just got um, like a seven day suspension for something else that was ridiculous. And I think the way they do it is each suspension increases with um, like the length or mm. the severity of the, until oh, finally wow. they're like, screw you, you're out. You don't, you don't, get, you don't get to have an account anymore. My first I'm basically was- right up there. My first question was, how have you not been banned from Twitter yet? That's yeah. the first oh, I, thing I wrote down. <laughs> oh, frequently, frequently banned. I'm banned all the time. I'm, <laughs> at this point, I'm banned more often than I'm not. But um, do you, I, you think know, there's... E- do you think Elon Musk buying Twitter is going to change that? Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. But you know, you you learn the algorithm. <laughs> like I can tell you that if you if you say uh, retard or retarded then the algorithm is on top of you like white on rice and there's just boom, you're gone. If you say, even if you're just joking with like one of your buddies, like, oh man, I'm going to kill you or something like that, then you're done. You're just, you're, you have you're the gone. showing up at your house. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, I know it. But um, if you're in UK that's, too, yeah, that's, that's the mm-hmm. real concern. I don't care what was in the Twitter account. I'm really, I shouldn't say concerned, but I, it's always like there. Yeah, like I don't want to knock on the door and have like two ATF agents standing mm. outside because I'm not the best person for that kind of interaction to occur. 
Right. Um, I did want to ask, are you okay on time, Sal? Are we keeping yeah. it? No, no, no. We just no, want to make no. sure that we're respectful of your time. Rock and roll, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, okay, so you're not as, you are and you are not as, as far as censorship goes, super concerned, but I'm, I'm concerned about uh, absolutely, especially after the, the intervention and what the way that people that attended January 6th were treated, that's when I really became concerned about the federal visits to the door for a meme or a tweet. Oh, I know yeah. it's Canada too, but it's the, the truckers up there. It was yeah. the playbook that they're going to use. That was insane. That was absolutely insane. Mm. Um, you know, all of that stuff, though, to me, what that does is that just shows how how important because um, you saw like the truckers, they had their bank accounts removed. Um, yeah. WikiLeaks. They, they, yeah, right. WikiLeaks, they wouldn't let you donate to people. And um, uh, even now, there was just something in the news that I was, oh, Kanye West just yep. had his bank account canceled mm-hmm. for a tweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, what I'm, the way I look at this. Passing. Yeah, PayPal, right, is um, this is the whole point of, of uh, you know, Bitcoin Cash and cryptocurrency. And, and when I tell people, even if you don't like Bitcoin and you're, you know, old school, you want, you know, silver coins and gold coins, become your own bank. However you're going to do it, become your own bank because you once you, you take that power away from them, you remove their ability to threaten you with uh, – mm with depriving you of their, of using their financial services, right? Because once you sort of are self-sufficient in in that regard, financially and monetarily, it becomes very difficult to oppress that person. Mm -hmm. And I, I've always said that the most important thing you could do is to become independent in a financial sense from the government. And That's, that's step one. Speaking of independent banking, I assume you're familiar with the infinite banking concept. Yeah, yeah, Bob Murphy. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Is that something that you practice or anything like that? I, I, I don't like practice that. it, but I'm familiar with it, and I wholeheartedly endorse it. I think it's you know um, a much much better way to 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 than to use a legacy banking system. The key here is that you don't want your money to wind up uh, being used to starve some child some five-year-old little girl in Yemen who you've never met and have no problem with. And the only way to do that is to keep it out of the hands of the elite bankers that we were talking about earlier. Yes, I'm sure the same yes. people that give you the insurance policies for the IBC are the same people that are full in with the Great Reset, the World Economic Forum, you know, um, the e, um, the social governance program. Yeah, and, and it's still a it's still a third party, by the way, that you're gonna have to contend with. Rather than PayPal, it'll just be your insurance company. So it's not a perfect system by any means, um, for sure. Yeah, yeah I, I I would like to um, encourage people to really put some serious thought into stopping their subscriptions to places like Netflix, etc. Because we really by doing that. You are funding the new world order, whether you like it or not. That's the truth. Yeah, yeah, and um, geez, Netflix didn't they have that like pedophile show? Cuties, or, cuties. Yeah, yeah, they got in trouble for that. Cuties. Or not cuties, only that, it was. my wife still watches Netflix, and some of the shit she puts on, I'm like, that that's like obviously Satanist. Like they they like oh yeah, practicing human sacrifice and shit. Like it's it's it like hilarious. wild. 
give credit so I... to Tiger King. That's all I got to say, Tiger. <laughs> yeah. So let me let me make an, an unrelated point that I've observed. What is with all of these serial killer shows? Why right, is that's everybody what I mean. obsessed with watching people murder other human beings? That's entertainment. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that say about modern society? What does it say about us when we consider entertaining to watch right. other human beings suffer and die ne- and be killed? That was Netflix even, yeah, is pushing it's on, uh, desensitization. Yeah. That yeah, was Netflix is pushing, a, pushing something. It's crazy. It's murder porn. It's literally murder porn. They've been Literally. desensitizing us for decades. Yeah, and I guess you know when you when you when you're planning on creating world wars, you sort of have to desensitize people. You sort of have to sort of ease them into it. Um, again, not to keep bringing up the book, but like that's another point I make in the book is how you know the Civil War was sort of like the lubricant. <laughs> for the for the dick that was World War One and World <laughs> War Two, right? Like, because if, yeah. if 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 and and by the way, that that's also true in Europe. Of um, you know, at the same time that Lincoln was uniting the American states by force, uh, you know, um, in Germany they were uniting the principalities by force. So if we didn't have those two bloody events of unification occurring at the same time, it's unlikely that Western people would have accepted. The death tolls at of like World War One, like the Battle of the Somme, with like one million people died in one battle, or were done with like seven hundred thousand, mm. or Passchendaele, or the Marne. People would not have they would not have found that to be an acceptable quantity of death if they had weren't first eased into it by Lincoln and uh, those guys. Well, now the Twitter yeah. warriors are are saying they're gonna fight the you know ukraine war down to the last ukrainian oh i know it's sick it's sick it's sick and they again they don't if you mention if you mention nuclear holocaust that's going to end the human race they're just okay you know you're commie like you're a a racist you're You're, you're you're a racist yeah you're 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 transphobic or something i'm on team humid like, please <laughs> yeah. listen to me. It's okay. I got a white pill. I got a white pill. Yeah, well, okay. they've spent many, many decades um, in studying, you know, the MK ultras, etc. these psychological um, studies. They know how we operate. They know we don't want to be humiliated. They know we don't want to be on the outer. So uh, that's all I got to do. It's so simple. It really is so simple. Crazy. They've got it all figured out. What's me and Stella already know. Me and Stella already know that nukes are fake. We're, we'll, we'll be okay. And gay. <laughs> well, you know, I've, been, I've, been, I've been hearing a lot about that lately. I first heard Owen yeah. Benjamin. I can't say I know. But, yeah. And I haven't put any further research into it, but I'm no longer convinced that nukes are real. <laughs> well, there, I can tell you there that is enough question. Put it that way. I, I, I can so tell you that from um, from from my research on world war ii that i did for for the book um uh there's a lot of japanese who who would disagree (laughs) there's hundreds (laughs) of thousands who might who might disagree (laughs) is it uh the dick size thing (laughs) (laughs) no oh sorry (laughs) 
Okay. So we are coming up kind of on our time. So um, before we head out though, I just want to see if um, anybody has any more questions for Sal and Sal, if you could give us a little more information about, I mean, I can't imagine that anybody listening to this doesn't already know about all of your work, but if you would like to share, you know, your websites, how they can support you um, and especially tell us about your game plan for the book, the books that you've already put out. Yeah, so um, go ahead, please. I'm sorry, I was just, can I ask you one question since we talked about Rothbard a lot? Favorite Rothbard book? (sighs) Uh, Like the one that anyone has to go out and read that's never heard of Rothbard. Oh, that one, of course, is Anatomy of the State. That's what I figured. My favorite, I mean, there's so many good ones. You can just pick at random, you know. there it's it's all just wisdom is what it comes yeah it really is it really is i mean you pick history logic economics the man does it all and he he does it all better than anyone else he's your go-to if he if there's a subject you're interested in out there if anybody out there is listening rothbard has um written a piece on or he's given a speech about it and it's probably the best source you can find on that topic and I do believe that most of his works, if not all of them, are on Mises.org for free. For free, yeah. And I think that there's a lot of audio books on there for free as well, if that's more your thing. I could. I be think that they're all, that. I think that they're basically all have been transcribed at this point. And like that includes like the major volumes, like Conceived in Liberty, Man, Economy, and State, like all the big ones. You can get that in audio too. So you can't, you can't beat free audio, but listen to it while you're driving around, learn something. And, and Rothbard, yeah, man, like you can't pick someone better than Rothbard to learn from. So if I had to pick one book for anybody out there who's unfamiliar, it's Anatomy of the State for sure. But I think you'll find, as I did, that once you, once you open up that Pandora's box, you're, you're, <laughs> there's no coming out of it. <laughs> you're gone. <laughs> it's, it. it's, re- it's really the Matrix metaphor of taking that red pill. and It really now, is. Now you can never see the world the same again. Can I tell you a quick story? I know you guys want to wrap up. Quick no, story. Please. I, I um, was always, I never, I actively avoided Rothbard because I, I always knew like, I didn't want to be one of these wacky anarchists, right? Because no one's going to take you seriously if you're one of these crazy people. And I never, I, if somebody said, all right, come on here, we're going to watch Rothbard, I would go the other way. And I would not read any of these books or anything. I was always a history nerd. And uh, there's this man named Ralph Rako. I don't know if you guys are familiar familiar with him. Mm. He's a famous historian. And um, I started reading Ralph Rako books. I started watching Ralph Rako lectures on YouTube. And before I know it, I'm like, this guy's an anarchist. This guy reminds me of like, you know, someone's grandpa or something like that. He's just like a friendly, knowledgeable old guy. And I thought, well, you know what, if he's, he's harmless. So, you know, maybe Rothbard is harmless too. So no, I, let me look up Rothbard and that was it. And then it was just all downhill. And then I was, you know, hook, line and sinker. And that was it. So then you start YouTube and Ron Paul and well, There's no, no see, I see, I was Ron Paul before that, and I, okay. I, like, I was, I, yeah, I came from like neo conservative warmongering, I was like okay. this brainwashed fool, and then um, Ron Paul opened my eyes. I was a minarchist who avoided Rothbard, and then I slowly sort of that's when I sort of started watching Ralph Rako videos, and that was the end of that. 
because Rako and Rothbard and Leonard and Legio, there was a whole little clique of those guys back in the day. And you can't listen to one without listening to all the other guys, too. They're all brilliant, frankly. Can't go wrong situation. No, right, exactly. So anyways, I didn't mean to take a sound or long tangent um, and interrupt your plug. So please, please go ahead. No, no, no. Um, the, the book is Anti-Politics. That's the book that's out now. Um, you can pick that up on Amazon. Ashley's got a copy. Um, the new book coming out is going to be called The American Experiment. And that should be out. I'm just waiting for the forward to be written. And then um, should be, I'm thinking maybe like another month or two tops, hopefully. Okay. And uh, other than that, 3D printer go burr where you can buy 3D printers and 3D printing supplies for cryptocurrency. Avoid those KYC payment platforms. Agorathreads.com for libertarian and anarchist um, apparel, clothing, stuff like that. Uh, the website saldiagoras.com where you can I sort of put everything under one title. Other than that, follow me on social media, Sal Mayweather at Sally Mayweather, Salviagra, something like that. I'm on all your different social media platforms. You can find me some way or another. But that's did it. you mention I, your podcast, Sal? The the podcast is called the Agora. I I've it's been on pause for at least for the summer, it was on pause. I'm I am planning on revamping it sometime soon. When I have the time to get around to that, only God knows. Maybe like that'll probably be another couple of months as well. But yeah, that's called the Agora. And all the old episodes are still up, like the one we mentioned earlier uh, about 3D printing. So you can check all them out. Um, there's a lot of good work in there. I, there's a lot of good topics that we cover. History, economics, counter-economics. There's something for everybody. Yeah, that was where I was introduced to a lot of other people in the Liberty community where I found other people like the I've heard Pete uh, Quinones yeah. on your show for the first time. I heard Cyprian on your show for the first time. Um, you know, a, a lot of really, really good yeah. information. Okay, anything else, Al? I think that's all. Well, thank you so, so, so much for taking thank your you time to come on with us. We really appreciate it. We know we're unknowns. Yes, thank you. Um, it may not, you know, do a lot for your numbers, but we really appreciate the conversation and your time. Whenever and you guys want to have me on, I, I would love to hop on. Not to invite myself, but. We no, you're welcome myself. to come on anytime. We'd love to have <laughs> yeah. you. Um, you're the most I, famous I person we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm sorry to hear Terry, that. He's the what? <laughs> he's the most famous person we've ever had. Oh. Well, I'll say in a lot of the liberty circles, you're somewhat of a celebrity, you even are, if yeah. it's just just your memes that constantly go viral. So I guess if that's nothing a great, I'll else, take it. I'll take it. Thank you. Um, yes, yeah, if nothing else, follow him for great memes because yeah. they're, you'll see it one way or the other. Get it from, the and then story. you get roped in for the philosophy. Yeah, you're doing exactly. the Lord's work. You're waking people up. I mean, it's it matters. You know? And drinking red wine—that's my favorite. Okay. And um, yeah, we're you're welcome to come on anytime. We record every two Saturdays, so um, every couple weeks. So if you ever want to come on again, we'd love to have you. And, um, you know, create like a win-win and, and when are you planning on launching your second book? Um, I'm, I'm hoping it won't be too, too much longer. I'm hoping like another month or two. I'm just waiting for the, for the forward to be finished written, being finished. Yeah. Written so up once that's, that's, that's done, it. yeah, just yeah. hit Ashley up. She manages the Twitter. Yeah, I will. Um, so just hit us up. Let us know. We'd love to have you on again for your book launch. Yes. I mean, it doesn't even have to be that. You can just come on and hang out with us on a Saturday because 
we just talk about different things. Like the last time we talked about war, ironically enough, and then we've talked about climate change and how that mixed all in with it and all that stuff. Yeah, so it's let's just, do it. yeah. Let's so, do it. Definitely. I will for sure keep you updated, Sal. Would love to have you come on anytime. Thank you let's so much. Let's do it. Thank you okay, guys. Cool. All right. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, thanks. That was great. Fantastic night. Bye. Have a good night. Fake. <laughs> thank you that's awesome thank you thank you for tuning in for another episode of union of the unknowns you can find new episodes every week on all your favorite podcasting networks